0: You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Our focus today is going to be on the new birth the new birth, and how that helps you have victory over this world. It's who is and who isn't a child of God, and, and that's been John's focus throughout this book, hasn't, hasn't it? He's, uh, the question has eternal consequences for us. The new, the new life, the new birth, born again. What does that mean? It's a question that everyone has to wrestle with at some point in time in their lives. And it is the most important question that you'll ever be asked and ever be asked to answer because it has eternal consequences uh, whether you answer uh, one way or the other. So we're going to spend some time just fleshing this concept out just, just a little bit today and going through it. One, one thing that I've noticed over the years is that there tends to be a little confusion around what the new birth means how it happens um, what 's it all about? Um, I know for a fact that that terminology makes little sense for an unbeliever, right? They have no idea what what being born again is or why why they need to have it, but we need to talk about it nevertheless, even to believers, I think sometimes it's hard to understand what what's the process of of the the new birth, what happens after that. Um, you know, what's the dynamics around all of that? Because it does matter in the whole scheme of things, but we all should be able to agree on the fact that the new birth is key to our Christian faith. We, we've got to have that. We've got to have an understanding of it. John 3.3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So... Obviously, without being born again, you're never going to see heaven. You're never going to see heaven. Your life is destined for eternal wrath, eternal separation from God's love. And I think that's the reason why it's the most important question, isn't it? On one side, you have eternal life. On the other side, you have God's wrath for all of eternity. So it's an important question question that needs to be answered what is new life am I born again how do I know I have new life we've been covering a lot of these things in the book of John uh, this book uh, so far and there's nothing inside of you that can ever make you worthy of God's love nothing that you can do there's we're always in a state of perpetual sin if you're an unbeliever there's nothing you can do to please God many think that they can do good works to please Him and to get closer to God and have the new birth. But that, that just doesn't work. You, you actually need the new birth. So if I was to ask you that question, what, what is the new birth, what would you say? How would you answer that? What? New life in Christ? Sure. It's new life in Christ. Nic- Nicodemus asked the right question when he said, how can a man be born when he is old? He was referring to being born again, wasn't he? To to the outside world it makes no sense. But the Bi- the Bible describes new life this way. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old things passed away, behold new things have come. So the new life comes with change. You are a new creation. What does that mean? If you're a new creation, you are created into something other than you were. It's new, never seen before. Something has been created that didn't exist before. It means that the person you used to be is gone. That person is no longer there. Different. And in its place is something completely new. It's a new creation, a new person, a new being. It's like a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. It's completely different. Everything about you is different than before. The old ways are dead. The way that you lived your life. New things have come. The old ways, what were they? Well, you were disobedient to God. You didn't even know that. You were not looking to please Him, that's for sure, because dead men can't please God. But your mind was on the things of this world only, and it wasn't on Christ. It wasn't on Christ. It might have been on money, fame, unholy relationships, but it certainly wasn't on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's for sure. You went to places that you would never go now in the old life. Your walk was different. There was no motivating factors to be truthful or honest when you were dead in your sins. Your language proved that you belonged to the world. If you're like me, you know, I was, I was in the Navy, right? I swear like a drunken sailor. Yeah, that, that's true. But in the new life, your way is much different. Your new ways are much different. You have a new purpose in life. You want to glorify the Lord. Your, your life's not the same. You, you look at it and you have a new purpose now. You're not just a wandering generality. You're more of a meaningful specific. You have a purpose in life that you just didn't have before. Your mind is completely different. You think of new things now, don't you? You have new thoughts. It's being transformed your mind is. You're, you're continually thinking about um, the things above. You're thinking about, how, how can I walk after the Lord? How can I follow Him? How do I search Him out? You want to please Him. That's the goal. You want to please Him. You walk differently now. You look carefully, not as unwise, but as wise do. You're carefully considering your path And you're not just arbitrarily moving in any direction. There isn't a carousing and a drunkenness anymore. Instead, there's a pursuing of His holiness. You desire to set yourself apart from sin because you know how destructive sin can be in a person's life. So the pursuit of holiness is critical. You're walking in faith instead of fear because you know that your life is hidden in Him and you're safe. You can trust Him. There's that peace and joy in a person's life when you walk with the Lord. You walk in the light before it was darkness. That's all you cared about was the ways of this world. But now you want to be in the light. You want to come among the believers. You want to come to church. You want to read His Word. There's so many things about the new life that are just so um, amazing. So amazing. You walk now in the truth of His Word. John says there is no greater joy for Him than to find His children walking in the truth. That's the goal. We're walking in the truth. And He's urging us all to take note of this new life, what it means, so that there is no way you will ever doubt or be led astray from the truth that lies within the pages of the Bible he 's continually done that so far in this in this book, hasn't he over and over again he's told the saints you know how to live their lives, reflect on their lives, basically saying that if you belong to Jesus, you should be doing some things. you should be doing some things. He said in this book that we should be walking in the light, as I just mentioned, we should be. Confessing our sins before the Lord, the evidence of our faith should be relevant and should be manifest to anybody that could be looking at us to keep his commandments, to keep his word, to follow after him is what we're to be doing. Don't love the world. Don't love the world system. Keep yourself pure, he's told us already. Purify yourself as He is pure. Practice righteous living. These are the things that prove that we're a believer. Love each other. We're to test the spirits to make sure that they're from God or not. Believe in the deity of Jesus Christ because the Gnostics did not believe in the deity of Christ in this book. They were trying to lead people astray from the true Christ, into a false Christ. And so this is how you know someone is a believer. And this is the evidence that you're born of Him. In our passage today, we're going to look at a few uh, evidences for the birth that we're we're talking about, Um, the new birth, evidences that we're going to be looking at our faith in Christ. We're going to be looking at love of God, We're going to be looking at love for the Son, love of His Word, and victory over the world. These are the evidences of the new birth in these passages that we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at the evidence. So we come to our our first verse in in chapter 5, verse 1. Evidence of the new birth, faith in Christ. Let's read that again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ Has been born of him. Excuse me. Has been born of God, and everyone who loves the one who gives new birth, loves also the one who has been born of him. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of him. It is only the one who has been regenerated that can say they are truly born of him. But the everyone, you know, is certainly can be the believers but also anyone that believes it can be unbelievers coming to know the Lord. Everyone who believes it is the one that has been regenerated that can say they are born of Him and is the one who uh, is born of Him that believes. That's the idea. Believes is, is, uh, is pistis, which means faith. So to believe, everyone who believes, everyone who has the faith that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of Him. That's really what he's saying in this verse. And it's in the passive sense. Believe is in the passive sense, which means it's a continual, ongoing belief. So if you're born of Him, you don't fade in and out of your faith. You don't believe one day and say, next, next two days I don't believe, and you keep fading in and out of belief. No, it's a continual, ongoing belief in your faith. You keep following after Him. You keep returning to Him. The question is, where does this faith in Jesus come from? That's, that's a good question. Is that you believing on your own? Under your own power? Under your own uh, abilities? Is that, is that how it happens? Or does God give you the faith that you need to believe and become born again? Which is it? God gives it. Scripture tells us that faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. I always love that verse, because grace and faith are, are a gift from God that He's given us. Because if it wasn't, what would we do? We would boast. We would say, oh, look what I've done. I've, I've made this uh, happen all on my own. I've done everything I possibly can and I've, I've, saved, saved, I've made the decision to, to follow after Jesus. But that's not the way it is. Grace and faith are a gift from God. It's critical to know that because anyone that calls on the name of the Lord does so. Because he has given them the ability to do it. He's given them the ability. We see that in Philippians one twenty nine. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So you see in that verse how belief and faith has been granted to you. That's an amazing gift especially since we couldn't attain it on our own. So God gives it to us as as a gift to be able to believe in Him, to follow Him, and to live our lives for His glory. You didn't have that faith on your own. God gave it to you. If you'll turn over to Romans 8, we want to look at a passage there, Romans chapter 8. Because I want to look at kind of the order of salvation here just to um, run down through it the passage is often called the golden chain of redemption because the links are all connected you can't take out one or two links and and uh because it breaks the redemptive plan of of God in the process if you do that so Romans chapter 8 verse 28 through 30 we'll just kind of read read down through that And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there's the order. He foreknew before eternity passed those who will be saved. He knew that ahead of time. He didn't look down through the corridor of time like one pastor told me, that God sees who's going to believe at some point in time in their lives and that's why He chose them. That's not how this works. He elected or predestined those so he chose before time who was going to be saved. The gospel message is preached and the call goes out to people that be, to, to believe and they're regenerated. The new birth happens in their lives. Then they have the ability to have faith and to believe. And it all happens just in a split second, right? It doesn't take days. It, it happens in an instant. And then there's justification that happens. So when God declares you just on the basis of what Christ has done, He's paid the penalty for your sins. He declares you just. And then there's sanctification. It's a lifelong process, right? Progressive sanctification. We're continually growing in our faith in Christ and then ultimately, we're going to achieve or receive the glorification that He has for us when Christ comes back. But... It's important to to note this because the order is important. Because you have the other side of the, the aisle, which is the synergistic or the Arminian view, which says that we believe, then we repent, and then we have new faith. We have new birth. Which more is about making a decision, walking an aisle. It's about possibly an emotional response, This is how there are many unbelievers out there that think they are saved, but it never really happened. Never really happened. So the order's important. I want to look at a few verses just to kind of drive this point home. And it's in the book of 1 John. Um, There's three verses that that really speak to this, um, the fact that it's God's work. That God regenerates, He draws... And He does everything for us. If you look at verse uh, 2, verse 29, it says, if you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who does righteousness has been born of Him. That's one of the verses. So if you look at that verse, everyone who does righteousness has been born of Him. And the question is, is it right to say that by you doing righteousness you are born of him or is it better to say that you are born of him and that's the reason why you do righteousness see there's the order of it is important and then if you look down to verse uh, chapter 4 verse 7 beloved let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God are you born by God by loving or do you love because you're born of God? That's that's the question. And then in our verse that we just read, chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the one who gives new birth loves also the one who has been born of Him. Are you born of God because you believe? Or is it you believe because you're born of Him? See, the main verb born, that's the, that's the main action there and the subject is who does righteousness in verse 29 that's the subject subject in verse chapter 4 verse 7 is who loves and the subject in five one is everyone who believes everyone who is born of him practices righteousness everyone of him everyone born of him loves one another everyone uh, born of him, believes Jesus is the Christ. And everyone who is born of him loves God, the one who gives new birth. You know that you have new life because you have that continual faith in Jesus. And to be born of him is in the passive voice here. It's in the passive voice. We were passive in the process, but God was active. See, it's not a work of our own. We were passive in the process and God was active. We didn't use our own volition to come to Him to be born again, to to get this new, new life. Dead men cannot seek God. They cannot follow after Him. It has to be God initiating that process. The verb born is in the present tense. It happened in the past, but it carries on to this present day, you see. It was God who initiated your salvation and carries it out. And it is those that continually believe and have that faith, those are the ones that have the new life. It's a beautiful thing. I would just draw your attention to one other thing in, in our verse there, in, in verse uh, 1. The object of your faith is important. You can't just have faith in any anybody. Yeah, Right? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So the object is Jesus of your faith. Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. There's only one Savior, right? There's only one, one Savior. John 3.17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. See? There's only one Savior. He came to save. And I think there's a lot of um, false Christs that are being presented in the world, but there's only one true Savior. The Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one. He was predicted in the Old Testament as the coming Messiah, which means the same thing as the Christ. And the point here is that the object of your faith must be the true Jesus. The true Jesus, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the true savior of the world has been born of him. And you have evidence then of that in your life. And you should manifest that to the world is really what we're talking about here. So the second evidence of the new birth is your love for God. And that's in the second half of verse 5. Or excuse me, verse one of chapter five. And everyone who loves the one who gives new birth, which is God, everyone who loves the one, God, gives who gives new birth, also loves the one who has been born of him. So God is the one who gives the new birth. Evidence of saving faith is that you love God, that your faith is connected to him, because he has given you the new birth. You were dead spiritually, there was no desire. You had no no means to follow Him. You had no desire to do it. There wasn't any reason for you to learn His ways, to follow after Him. But now that He has saved you, it brings with it a sincere desire, doesn't it? To follow after Him. You You're here today. You want to learn about His ways. There's a sincere desire for that. Not because you have to though, right? You're here of your own will. You want to do it because you love Him. That's the idea. To love God means you worship and you praise Him. Jesus answered the devil in Luke 4.8. It says, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. You serve Him only. He's the only one. That's your single focus. You should have such a desire to come before Him and to bow down and to worship Him because he is the one who gave you the new birth. He's the one initiated that flame with inside of you when you were dead. And there's such an appreciation that you want to follow after him. It means that you put him first in your life. You have two commandments to follow, and the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we have to remember that He's taken our heart of stone out of us as Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36 or 38 26 let me say that again 36 26 he's removed the heart of stone from your flesh and he's given you a new heart that's what it is he's taken the old one out the stone one that's dead that can't do anything to please the lord and he's given you a new one with spiritual life spiritual desires the heart of stone is your old life, dead and unable to follow Him. Your new heart is connected to Him. It desires to be with Him, to love Him because He loved you first. It means that you long to be with Him. It means that you long to be with Him. When your life is hectic and chaotic and crazy all over the place, um, search Him out. That's where you're going to find the comfort and the peace. As we read in Psalm 63, 1 and 2, it says, O God, You are my God. I shall seek You earnestly. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh yearns for You in a dry and weary land without water. Thus I have beheld You in the sanctuary to see Your power and Your glory. Those born of Him, seek Him out. They run to Him when their souls need water, when they're dry and parched. They go to Him for refreshment. They thirst for Him. Everything within their flesh and bones is drawn to Him. They long to be close to Him. They have a longing to come to church, into the sanctuary, and to praise and to glorify Him. There's that desire and longing for that. The new birth is a radical change, isn't it? It's not like the old life at all because before you had no intention of following God, but now uh, all you think about is doing that. All you think about is following after Him. Psalm 40, uh, verse 8 says, I desire to do Your will, O my God. Your law is within my inner being. It's within my inner being. Everything that I think about, everything that I desire, comes from Him. We move on now to uh, uh, another evidence of the new birth, which which is obedience to His word. Obedience to His word. Look at verses two and three of chapter five. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. To love God is to keep His commandments. is to love all His laws and statutes laid out in the Bible. Psalm 1, very clear, it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And in His law, He meditates on it day and night. That's the passion. That's the kind of passion that someone who has a new life goes after. They go after it because they love Him. They're chewing on His Word, understanding it. They're meditating on it. They're constantly turning it over in their minds to follow after Him. Deuteronomy 6.17 says, says you should diligently keep the commandments of Yahweh, your God, and His testimonies and His statutes, which He has commanded you. To be diligent is not to be careless in keeping them, but to have a steady pursuit of them. To keep is to stand guard like a military on, on duty. You're, you're surveying and you're keeping guard over the truth, over His Word. You're diligently following after Him. 1 Kings 8.61, Let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to Yahweh our God to walk in His statutes and to keep His commandments as at this day. To be devoted means to be committed to Him. Be committed to Him. Be devoted, continually following after and seeking out His commandments and guarding them. It means you direct time and resources into keeping His commandments and walking with Him. Psalm 78.7, that they should set their confidence in God and not forget the deeds of God, but observes His commandments. Psalm 119.4, you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. We walk after them. We, We pay attention. It's not arbitrary. We're continually, diligently chasing after what these words have to say, what they mean in our lives. Psalm 119.10, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. That'd be bad. I don't want to fall away from the Lord. I don't want to fall away from the truth because like the Gnostics were trying to do, it leads you into error when you get away from the truth of the Word of God. Psalm 119.19, I am a sojourner in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Don't hide them from me. You want to know what they are, so you can follow them. That's the idea. And then Psalm one nineteen forty seven to forty eight. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. Do you love his commandments? Do you love his ways? Do you love his truth? If you do, then that's the evidence of the new birth. That's the evidence that you have that new life, that flame inside of you that wants to go after the truth of his word. For those of him, for those born of him, they have that deep love and passion for his word. And a willing spirit, isn't it? It's a willing spirit to keep his commandments. Many feel like God's word is restrictive. I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, it's so, so burdensome to keep his word. There's so many, there's more don'ts than do's. And anybody that says that, uh, I automatically think that they're not born of Him because there's way more do's in the Bible than don'ts. And when God asks us to do something, it's for our own good. He's not doing it to harm us. The don'ts keep us from the harm. Don't do this. Because if you do, there's going to be consequences and you're not going to like it. God cares about our well being. So when he tells us to do something, it's good for us. When you learn his word and keep keep it, it helps you stay away from danger. That's the idea here. But to us that have new life, keeping his commandments, it says in this verse, it's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That means they're not heavy. They're not heavy for you. They're not difficult to keep. They're not too weighty for you. The Pharisees and the scribes created more work for, for the people. Luke eleven forty six 46 says, But he said, Woe to you, scholars of the law, as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers, the Pharisees and the scribes added hundreds of laws for the people to follow. It was such a burden for them that created so many difficulties and a struggle for them. But, you know, with Jesus, that's not the way at all. Because with Jesus, he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's easy because he helps you carry those burdens so you don't have to do it by yourself. The Holy Spirit pulls you along and shoulders the load with you. You're not alone. That's nice to know, right? I can live my life with help. Lord knows I need it. Uh, The next evidence that we want to look at is victory over the world. And that's in verses 4 and 5. For everything that has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the overcoming of That has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This verse is speaking about having victory over the world. The one who overcomes has conquered the world. How does one do that? How do you conquer the world? Look at the end of the verse for the answer our faith. It's our faith that allows us to conquer the world. Remember, it is God who gives you the faith. He gives you the faith so you can conquer. He helps you to do that. So it's not unusual that Jesus said this in John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But don't worry, he says. Take courage. I have overcome the world. He's overcome it. Jesus has overcome the world and so have you through the faith that He has given you. That's what allows us to do that, to overcome. You would not be able to have that kind of a victory in the old life because you don't have the faith inside of you to do it. And the world here is the world system with all of its complexities and people you have victory over this corrupt, evil system because of your faith. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. Your faith overcomes all that is in the world. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those are the things that you overcome. The Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, boastful, proud of life, pride of life, and it's done by our faith, and I think about um, in in Hebrews when we're going through Hebrews chapter eleven with all uh, the saints there. Remember by faith, Abel offered up to God a better sacrifice than Cain, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. By faith, Noah, being warned about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. By faith, Isaac believed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish. I don't know about you, but all these people seem like superheroes to me, but they're really not. They're really just people like you and I. They're ordinary people that faced many difficult and trying situations in life, just like we do. And the most amazing thing about it is that they faced the same world system that we do, the same corruptness, the same difficulties and challenges. And what happened? Their faith is what allowed them to overcome. It's their faith that did it. That's what we can rely on. It's, a, it's an example for us to follow after. Uh, it helps us to persevere until the end of, of their lives. It's that faith. Their lives are an example to you and I that we can have victory over this world system and it's not us doing it. It's, it's Christ through us that allows us to do it. And that's That's the exciting part about it. And just just in conclusion i'll summarize you know kind of where we've gone but the new birth takes a spiritually dead person and it makes them alive again it makes them alive in christ it's taking someone that had no idea about jesus turning them into someone that has a passion to follow after him and i would say the order of salvation is important to know you're regenerated then you believe and repent. It all happens in just a, just a split second. The order is important. And the new, mer- new birth puts a new mind into you. It puts a new mind into you. Uh, I call it a one-track mind. It's a one-track mind. The mind's always focused on God. You're always thinking about it. Every moment of every day. You have that single focus, one track mind that is taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How can I please him? How can I follow after him? How can I learn more? How can I read more? How can I share my faith more? You have a single focus, and that's the attitude of the new life. You can look at your own life and get, make an assessment. Do, do, do you have these evidence in your own life that shows and demonstrates that you are born of him? And faith is a gift. Faith is is given to you at the new birth, and that faith is supernatural, isn't it? It comes to us through God. It enables you to have victory in life over the evils of this world system. That's the exciting part about it, is that we don't have to live in the sin that we did before. We're now aware. We know what the dangers are. We can go out there and test the spirits to see whether what they're saying is truthful or not. It it gives us a whole new avenue to live our lives and a whole new purpose that we, we just didn't have before. And it's because God acted on our behalf. We were passive. He was active. He put that faith into us. That's how we know that we are not able to boast about it. Because as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, if we, if we didn't have that, we would boast about it. But many, many out there who have walked an aisle, um, prayed a prayer, and think that they are saved, um, It's not because you made that choice on your own. It's God made that choice. He foreknew you from the foundation of the world. He predestined it. He elected it. And it's just by His good grace that we are saved. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org.